Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened, your tray table is in an upright and locked position, and that you are ready to get weird and think different. Please prepare for takeoff. Today is Thursday. It is April 7th. We're back with another episode of Destination Different. I need to start this episode out with a huge thank you. So you might remember, last couple months, I started every episode begging, pleading, asking the listeners of Destination Different to submit a love letter. If you're a long-time listener to the show, this will sound familiar. I've been begging for love letters. So the Destination Different podcast had been entered in this contest called Podcash, where they were offering sponsorship money to up-and-coming podcasters, to people who don't usually get sponsorship money. And one of the voting criteria was these love letters that were written in from fans of the show. Turns out this week... Destination Different was announced as one of the winners of Podcash. Insert round of applause here. And all I can say is thank you to everyone who submitted love letters, who helped along the way of winning this contest. While we didn't win the full, full, full grand prize, it is the first real, tangible, actual money that I have made in two and a half years from this podcast. And I am just so appreciative of everyone who submitted, of everyone who wrote in to say how much they loved the Destination of Podcast, how much they loved this show. And I'm just, I don't know, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have the words to put into, I, I just can't put it into words how thankful I am Hopefully this is just the beginning. Hopefully this is just the start of getting this thing rolling even further. But I wanted to start off with a genuine thank you to everybody who listens to this show and everybody specifically who wrote in and submitted a love letter to podcast and helped us win some sponsorship money. So now we got all that gushy stuff out of the way. I wanted to introduce you to this week's guest who I am. Very excited to share the interview with you this week. So my guest on this week's show, his name is Patrick Johnson, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Vantage Sports. Couldn't have, couldn't have found something that was more up my alley. So Vantage Sports is a company that offers student-athletes, collegiate student-athletes, the opportunity to make money off their name and likeness. And this is new. This is brand new. For a long time, college athletes... Couldn't make a dime off of their name, their image, their likeness. All the money is going to the NCAA, it's going to the conferences, it's going to the TV stations. Athletes just couldn't make money at the collegiate level off of who they were. And so that changed last summer, July 1st. The NCAA put into a, effect a, a rule basically that students can now make money off of their name. And Patrick saw the writing on the wall. He said, "This is there's something here. I think I, I think I got to get out ahead of this." And so he launched Vantage 
as a sports platform where college athletes could offer one-on-one training, group training, camps, coaching to up-and-coming high school athletes, up-and-coming middle school athletes, athletes, younger athletes that wanted to someday potentially compete at the college level. And he's built this platform that allows these young athletes to book time with college student athletes, that allows college student athletes to make money from hosting these sessions, and he's off to the races. So that is the the basic, basic, basic story of Vantage Sports. There's a whole lot more that goes into it. Pat was months ahead of this even being announced that he started building this in his free time because he saw that there was going to be a movement, there's going to be a groundswell around NIL, and he was one of the first to just jump in and hop in on it. So that is the story on this week's Destination Different. We've got Patrick Johnson, co-founder and CEO of Vantage Sports. Let's go. I never liked as an athlete growing up. I never really did well with adult coaches for whatever reason, you know, and that was almost, I think in a way what held me back and um, from going to that next level is I never really responded well to 45 year old coaches just sort of telling me what to do all the time. I think there's one, one wrestling practice I went to that was real bad, just sort of a bald bearded guy, just sort of like, not taking the time to even, you know, first time wrestling, not taking any time to really teach me how to do anything. And I was just like, I'm out on this. So I, I sort of thought that if there's a different avenue to learn with more relatable figures, um, that young kids and high school kids actually look up to, you know, that could sort of provide a unique opportunity for athletes who might, you know, have otherwise sort of quit or not gone into sports as much as I would have liked. And did you, did you like work in camps as a kid? Like, was that like your high school, you know, junior high college job? Like, did you coach at any camps yourself? So I actually <laughs> did that in college. Um, I did like an all sports camp. So not quite super specific to one sport, um, which was fun. It was also a lot of work and very tiring. So I think I understand um, a little bit of <laughs> the energy it takes to sort of work with kids and, um, you know, put on a good experience. And, and from what I understand, like you didn't, you didn't just jump right into, okay, I'm out of college. I'm going to start a business. Like, you know, you had an economics degree, you worked in finance for, for years. So how did you, how did you make that switch of deciding like, okay, I've been doing this for a while. This may be the the real world is not what I thought it was. Like, you know, what was, what was sort of that like deciding moment for you or, you know, maybe multiple moments that led you to deciding, like, I got to start my own thing. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Well, I did start my own business while I was at Boston College. I started a landscaping company um, that's now known as Green Ops. Um, That's actually killing it in Boston today. My co-founder and cousin, uh, Josh Johnson, is running that right now. So it was J&J originally? Is that what it was? was. And then he made a wise move to rebrand it, increase the pricing as the quality of service increased quite a bit. So he, he... rebranded it to green ops he ditched the um, weight he ditched the, the exactly the... and he had to ditch me as well so he needed a new name um but um i always knew i wanted to get something more entrepreneurial 
and I was working first at a Fortune 200 medical device company. So as anti-entrepreneurial as it possibly gets um, right after school, you know, working in corporate, not in a business unit. So it was, you know, quite literally as a high level, far away from the customers and the products, as you could imagine, just looking at spreadsheets and um, making some, you know, cool insights, I guess, and forecasts. But, you know, I wanted to go more entrepreneurial. So after that, I moved into a, a later stage startup in New York uh, called JustWorks in a finance strategy role. Um, you know, I was really exposed to the cliche startup atmosphere. You know, people were hanging out, working late, drinking beer at work. So understood sort of the dynamic, I think, of a startup. Um, you know, definitely realized that it was a better gig for the founders who own most of the company versus the later employees who, you know, often I think got allured a little bit by the, the techie atmosphere and, you know, how cool it is to be VC back. But I did, you know, I did learn quite a lot at that company and in that role. Um, and, you know, really once NIL came out, I knew this would basically be a new, new frontier, um, which is pretty rare these days to have this new market sort of opening up. And um, almost immediately, I, I thought of the coaching avenue just because growing up, you know, in a suburban town where parents are paying money for sports training, I knew that there was probably going to be an avenue um, for the coaching and sort of mentoring angle. And, um, you know, kept working on it nights and weekends and eventually decided to, to sort of go all in on it. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about that. Was that like, how, how long are you working on it nights and weekends before you decided to kind of pull the trigger and, and say, Hey, I'm going in, I want to go in on this full time. Yeah. So I would say the first summer after the pandemic started, um, September, October, 2020, I really started cranking on the nights and weekends, um, into that winter. I was originally trying to build the website myself on a no-code platform called Bubble, which was consuming a lot of my time. Um, you know, I eventually decided to sort of contract out the initial version of the website and just um, find someone who actually knew how to make a website and where I could sort of focus my energy on other parts of the business. And, you know, really just started by talking to a lot of college athletes. I mean, those are the first conversations I had. Um, you know, it was pretty confident that there would be parents who'd be willing to pay for these types of services. So I did speak to some parents, but spoke to a lot of different college athletes across all three divisions, a number of different sports, just to get their sense of, you know, what they think of NIL and what the opportunities for them might be. And um, I think that's what sort of helped um, firm up the idea and the concepts of, you know, having it be a marketplace for coaching and specifically for college athletes, because, you know, nothing like that existed uh, at the time. Yeah. When, when you were like still in that finance role, were you actively looking for like, okay, this is, this is an opportunity that I can create a business around or were you just like starting to throw things at a wall of like, all right, if I'm going to start a business, it could be shoes. It could be this. It could be like, were you just like itching to kind of start your own thing or were you looking for, okay, it's an untapped space and NIL announcement came along and you were like, all right, great. Yeah. I caught wind of it. I think earlier than most, I was reading an article in the wall street journal about California state law. And this is before I really picked up any steam in the media. And I think the idea just came into my head right there. It's like, what about a sports training platform with college athletes? You know, if I start working on this now, maybe I can get something ready by the time that this actually happens. Cause if, you know, back then it wasn't 
no one really knew when it was going to start. You know, I think California's bill was set for 2024. So I'm like, you know what? I bet you this might pick up steam quicker than people realize and just started sort of thinking on the idea and the concept and tweaking it a little bit and, uh, you know, sort of just kept, kept going with it. Yeah. Cause if I think back to those early days, like they didn't put a hard, okay, July 1st or whatever it ended up launching on. Like that was not how it initially came to be. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Um, it was a couple states that were putting dates, you know, in 2023, 2024. Uh, I f- forget when, but Florida was the first date to say we're going July 1st, um, which is, you know, ended up why I ended up moving to Florida. And I forget when they exactly made that announcement. I want to say at the beginning of last year. Um, and then, you know, other states followed suit and then eventually the MCA followed suit. So it sort of all came to fruition much quicker than I think people anticipated and for you and maybe just for the for the people listening here give, can you give like a, explain it to me like i'm five of what nil is and kind of like what some of the backstory is just for people who maybe don't understand what that means yeah absolutely so nil stands for name image and likeness and basically it removes the amateur status for college athletes that for years they were you know prohibited from actually using their name and image associated with the school to make money through any means, you know, sponsorships, camps, coaching. Um, so really for years, the NCA and conferences have been making a ton of money and the main participants of these sporting events have not been compensated whatsoever. They've, you know, been restricted and hoped that the, the professional career following their college careers would really, you know, be fruitful but for the reality is that most of those college athletes didn't make it to the next level so um after years of sort of pressure by you know a couple different organizations and people um in the space i think there were some college athletes who did a really great job of sort of asking for this um name image and likeness thing to come up you know specifically geo baker and isaiah bowers in the the tournament uh the ncaa march madness tournament um in 2020, um, you know, really did a good job of uh, beckoning for for some sort of uh, change. And then, um, you know, it started picking up steam in the media and eventually sort of just the NCA really had no choice. You know, their hand mm-hmm. was sort of forced. They had to do something. And so you were kind of, you know, on the on the front edge of this thing being announced. And at what point did you make the call of, all right, I, I got to go all in on doing this full time, you know, you're still starting off doing it nights and weekends. You don't know exactly when this thing is going to really like happen for real. So you're doing some of the prep work, but like, when did you make the decision? Like, all right, it's time to like ramp this thing up and put it into gear. Yeah. I think I knew like right about a month before July 1st, when we're going to have some sort of product ready to go in the month of July, not necessarily on July 1st. Um, that, you know, I needed to sort of jump on this and couldn't, you know, do a full-time nine-to-five anymore. Um, you know, and for better or for worse, I was definitely working much more than nine-to-five at my old job. So I sort of made the decision a little bit easier and, um, you know, uh, definitely have not looked back, you know. Mm-hmm. was fortunate to make, you know, make the jump when I did. I think it sort of help make the decision easier than I did it earlier, to be honest. Yeah. Float and I, you know, business I always, is already operating with a full-time job. Right. 
I always like to ask, you know, entrepreneurs, like, you know, from a financial standpoint, were you at that time just like, all right, I've got this much saved up. If I can go and start making money on this by X date, like I'll, I can start, you know, paying myself or I can help this thing keep it sustainable. Like from a money standpoint, how did you start to look at it where you're just like, all right, I'm cutting ties with my full-time, you know, finance job and going to go jump into doing this thing that I have no idea if it's going to pay me anything. Yeah. I mean, that was sort of the idea that I could do it for a year, um, you know, until then to get some traction and get some funding. And I, you know, I was very fortunate to get a little bit of early funding, but um, that may, basically went into building the website and incorporating the company, paying for some uh, legal and compliance infrastructure that we needed for the NIL space. So it was certainly um, definitely a big financial risk um, in that sense. But, you know, felt like this is really just the time for me. Um, you know, I was 28, had this job that, um, you know, I knew that there'd be other opportunities out there if it didn't work and just felt like everything sort of came together and honestly made the decision easier than I would have really even anticipated. Yeah. And so, you know, you hit, you hit launch, this thing like starts ramping up and, and NIL launches on July 1st, you get your site up and you're, you're kind of like off to the races. What were those first couple of days or months like, like how was, how are you starting to build traction? Were, were people like initially flocking to this or was it like a hard kind of uphill sell to get people to get athletes one yeah. and then also to get, you know, parents or high school students who are actually looking for the training to come to your platform and book through, through you. Like yeah. what was I some mean, of that initial traction? Like it was a very <clears throat> classic uh, <clears throat> chicken or the egg story. You know, I was <clears throat> even before I had a website, even before July 1st, I was at soccer tournaments and lacrosse tournaments, handing out flyers, sort of promising people that I'm going to have all these great athletes on my platform in the month of July. Um, you know, with the understanding that maybe some will bite at it and I can then go to the athletes and sort of take the demand to them. But I mean, it was a struggle the first <clears throat> six weeks, really, when we, you know, quote unquote, launched at the end of July um, in very small scale, um, getting, you know, really the athletes at first um, because it was, you know, a brand new space. There were so many entrants in terms of different companies that were trying to be in the space. Now they weren't going after the coaching vertical, but I think there are athletes who thought, you know, I'm going to make all this money off brand sponsorships and deals. And I'm just, you know, going to see in terms of what companies are going to reach out to me and sponsor me and, you know, send me free products and stuff. So it took us, you know, a solid month and a half to even really get a early group of athletes to jump in on it. And I think it um, made sense that it was baseball players because baseball players um, still haven't gotten, you know, many, NIL sponsorship deals and it's a really big sport in the U.S. but um, it doesn't you know it's not a revenue sport quote unquote so there's not exactly a ton of sponsor money getting thrown at a uh, baseball players by any means. Mm -hmm. And how did like how did those initial athletes kind of come into your system was it friends was it you know you're just going out knocking on doors and people <laughs> are hearing about it like how did some of those first yeah so I first users come in? It was definitely a few connections we had. Um, one of my teammates, Trent Schneider, played football at USF. So he was able to get us some USF baseball players. And then um, we had a few connects to the U Tampa baseball team as well. So, you know, we at least had some Tampa athletes we could go out and market for. And, you know, then just started going to baseball tournaments and calling coaches and sort of um, letting everyone sort of know about it. And, you know, players started 
buying in more and more once they tried it it was almost like we had this initial hump to get over where you know we were mostly just getting in touch with these players via social media and I think there was some initial hesitation to doing it but um you know the early players we had have you know are still using Vantage and have really bought in and have you know shout out to them have been a, a huge part of uh, our early success you know we have a long way to go but just the guinea pigs you know willing to get on there and you know give it a shot you just mentioned Vantage. I didn't. I, I didn't ask about this, but where where's the name come from? Where did that sort of origin story start? Was it always been Vantage? So actually, my one of my really good friends, Greg Flood, came up with the name. Um, you know, we were just sort of having a brainstorm session at the time. He was um, considering sort of going in on in, with a part as a partner with me. Uh, and we both realized that we had the exact same skill set and probably wouldn't be the best <laughs> partnership. But um, you know, he came up with the name. We tried out a few different things. We were, you know, we did like a poll with Vantage Sports and some some other names that were more, a little bit more like trying to be more, you know, Coach U or Drillzy or more like specific to to that great name that you know sort of explains exactly what it is. But we found mm-hmm. that it either all taken or just sort of sounded dumb. So um, we ended up going with Vantage Sports and have actually had some pretty good feedback from from parents about the name um and college athletes as well i think it's a little tricky because it doesn't exactly describe exactly what it was but it um i'm happy with it yeah building the brand building the brand around it um same thing like some of those early i always think this is interesting as well like in the early days you know you you finally you were starting to try and build the website by yourself and all of a sudden you're like i don't know how to do this like i gotta pay somebody to do this same like some of the branding design you know the logo the color scheme all of that stuff was that is that you is it you personally picking it are you bringing in people to kind of help you on different different projects as you're getting going yeah so it's really was just getting um getting people who could help and do it at a rate that i could afford honestly um you know with the branding and the logo and um the website definitely was probably the hardest thing to find someone who would sort of take a stab at building it um but yeah it was, you know it was sort of just all me figuring it out slowly but surely um and uh yeah getting it all into place mm-hmm. and i know you know in talking with you a little bit you've brought people in to kind of help with various elements and i, I feel like you're, you're like oh i got a guy here that does this i got a guy there that kind of helps with that how have you decided who to bring in to kind of help you out with pieces and and are there certain types of people that you're looking for? And what, what do you kind of look for as you start yeah, to, to I mean, hire I would for say, this? Yeah, it's like, I would say the number one thing is just people who are excited about the concept and the idea um, and see the use case on both or, you know, at least one of the, the different sides. Um, so as a, as a result, you know, I myself was not a college athlete, but, you know, others who have gotten involved have been college athletes. and you know, we're still at the point where we really don't have a roster of full-time employees. Um, I think we'll get there, but I think it's people who, you know, show a lot of enthusiasm about the concept, about the idea, about what we're building, um, you know, that are no brainers to sort of bring onto the team. Yeah. And like some of the, some of the folks that you've brought on so far, how, how do you think about, how do you think about scaling the business? You know, you, you kind of really bootstrap this thing just yourself 
for the most part, trying to get things going. And you've, you know, brought in somebody to help in, in different capacities, but how do you start to think about you're now coming up on what, like a full year in, um, at this point. And so how do you now think about like, what, what is the next year, the next five yeah. years, the next 10 years looks like? Yeah, no, I mean, I think going from zero to one is one, you know, specific thing where you're really like the founder, you just basically have to do everything to get it off the ground. And now it's trying to figure out, okay, well, you're at one. Now you have to get to, you know, a thousand prove to investors. This is a highly scalable business and that it's going to be this dominant name in the sports world. So, I mean, it's definitely a little bit of a shift in mindset and momentum. And I think for us is, you know, we have like a really strong partnership and access to college athletes, which gives us a, the ability to, you know, get college athletes in a, in a more targeted way. And we're working with a company called Influencer, which is a, you know, a pretty big player in the space. So as a young company, we're, you know, very fortunate to be, be working with them. And then I think that allows us to sort of focus on the other side of the marketplace and figure out sort of, um, you know, go to market um, with a little bit more of a narrow focus on figuring out who, who, yeah, how are we going to get our parents and kids knowing about this? And we're definitely still figuring it out. Um, but, you know, we're going to lean into social media as much as we can. You know, we've grown a following on TikTok and we can, you know, we'll plan on continuing to invest in that. Um, you know, I've been really fortunate to get hooked up with a, a phenomenal creator. Um, his name is Joseph. He's a sophomore lacrosse player at Mercer University. And he, you know, I got connected to him last summer. He created some content for us initially and then, you know, decided to, he wanted to sort of take take over the account and really become a part of the team. So he's, you know, been a huge, huge asset of us getting off the ground. And then, um, you know, I think really to scale, take a couple of big partnerships. Um, you know, we're working on one, which is a platform where high school athletes find college coaches. So they have, you know, a lot of high school athletes who at least in some capacity are aspiring to play at the next level. So and I think continuing to, to lean into different partners who want to give their audience access to our college athletes would really be the most cost effective way to get to any sort of scale. Yeah. It seems like that's been a big piece of your strategy so far. Like, you know, you've done the influencer thing, you've, you've partnered with a couple of other, uh, you know, smaller, whether it's agencies or groups that you know, kind of fit the different targets for you. Is that, is that something that you want to continue with going forward is like finding these partnerships and kind of really building this brand through way of collaboration, basically? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of the greater strategy and, you know, hope as we grow our supply of college athletes that we can, you know, tap into bigger and bigger partners and hopefully get, you know, someone at a more of a national level. Um, because I do think that, yeah, there, you know, there are definitely, a number of organizations that can see the value that you know getting advice and mentorship from training from a current college athlete um you know the value in that for their for their audience do you ever see this as being something that like the ncaa or the acc or like the actual institutions themselves would partner with or do you like is that just so far removed? yeah this was I mean, so new it's the wild, wild west right now in terms of NIL. And I think we're pretty far clear of any of like the big dollars, to be honest. You know, we've helped make college athletes make some, you know, steady streams of income, but no one's making a hundred grand on Vantage, at least right now. Um, so that we'll have to see what happens. You know, I think that there's definitely a need for a more streamlined uh, national policy personally, but 
Um, I don't know that those types of partnerships will ever be possible, but I do think that there's definitely, you know, opportunities for schools to maybe have closer relationships with them and, um, you know, have a school like Boston College, you know, get more, more behind it. Um, but right now it's just a little bit tricky because a lot of the more permanent legislation has not been uh, set forth yet. Is there, is there like a dream partner for you that if you're like, oh, if I could get linked up with X? I would say would, Nike. That, yeah. Nike. I mean, just like the biggest brand in sports. And, um, you know, I think for them, it, yeah, we'd have to get to definitely the next level of sort of scale. But, um, you know, I, I just think that they do such a great job with their brand and, you know, ha- have sort of steered, steered clear of this base until recently in terms of they've only made a few smaller sort of NIL sponsorship deals. So um, be interested to see if they, you know, go for an avenue like this, which is almost like not, you know, the big name athletes, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, more of the athletes who are going to take to coaching because, uh, you know, it's something they want to get involved with. Yeah. Is there like, maybe there's a two part question here. One, do you have a grand vision of like, all right, I want to, I want to own this company for, I want to own this company for years. I want this to be my thing. Are you like, all right, if I could sell this to a Nike or I could sell this, like, how, are, how do you think about that as you know, you're just getting off the ground, but yeah. I'm sure when you go come into an idea like this, there's ideas and visions and things like that. How are you thinking about that? Yeah. I mean, I haven't thought, I haven't thought about it a ton to be completely honest, but um, I do think that, um, you know, it's possible if there's a right company who sort of sees what we're doing and can see, bring some real synergy to it you know a company that has a lot of youth or high school athletes and can sort of match the the side of the marketplace that you know we're focused on getting it's you know it's definitely possible that there could be um a buyer in the space my second part of that question was like what do you think is the max that a that a college athlete could make in a year on vantage like is 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 it possible to make and to scale up that you can make a million dollars a year coaching camps. Like, is that, yeah, no, it's like, I think the best Avenue will be, um, hosting a camp once a month will be nice, but really what we were working on is something that would be a little bit more scalable stream of income for those athletes who have, you know, a little bit more foothold in the social media game or just are the higher end of their sport but they can sell access to instructional videos through the Vantage platform. So that's something we'll, we're not quite ready to roll out yet. I think we've definitely got a plenty of execution to do in terms of growing the training side of the business. But um, I think that's something that would play nicely in terms of, you know, you can sell a series of videos for $40 to a thousand different, you know, young athletes and not have to necessarily interact and train all of them at once. Yeah. And that's, that's probably for an athlete that maybe has a little more brand recognition is maybe slightly more in the public eye than a soccer player at the university of Albany that like, you know, has 2000 Instagram followers and maybe isn't necessarily raking in the the fans and followers. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, it's for the athlete who, you know, still aligns with what we're doing and wants to be involved in helping next generation of college athletes, but does have that bigger name 
and more brand recognition who would be, you know, the right fit type of athletes for that opportunity. Yeah. This is, this is maybe going to be a, a polarizing question here, but how many, how many parents do you think, think their child is going to be a professional athlete? It's a lot. I mean, I think that's certainly what helps us is, uh, these parents are definitely investing in their kids' futures. And, um, you know, I think especially at the younger, younger age, it's when, because your son or daughter is six inches taller than the other kids in the class, you know, they think they're really the next, um, you know, Jarek Jeter on the baseball field. So, um, but, you know, I like the kids who have the competitive drive, who want to learn and get better are the ones who really, you know, benefit the most from Vantage. So sometimes it takes their parents sort of, motivating them, pushing them a little bit, but I think it's really the kid's attitude to continue to learn and get better that um, makes them a fit for, for working with Vantage. Yeah. And like, as, as, as you've started to build this now, you know, you've, you're not just a month in, you're nine months in or whatever it is. Are you starting to see now like recurring participants that like somebody is scheduling a session with the same coach at the same time, every single day, and then it's starting to build that way. Or as you scale, will you just be looking to constantly like be bringing in more and more new athletes? No, I think the, the first part you said is really what we need to lean into. And we've seen that luckily we've had, you know, we've had some of our first players and first clients that are still working together on our platform, which is definitely really encouraging. And it's just continuing to build more and more of those, um, you know, really loyal customers who, you know, really see the, see the value in working with these college athletes and, I think as we grow, yeah, that's, those are the opportunities that are going to be most readily available to the broadest range of, you know, college athletes as you go into soccer and field hockey and tennis, you know, those one-on-one training opportunities are, um, you know, what's I think really going to be the, the bread and butter for us. Yeah. This may be switching gears a little bit here, but on a more personal level for you, you never, you never run, you know, you've, you ran a landscaping business, but you know, you're kind of running this business for the first time as an adult. And how do you start to like divvy up your day and how you focus your attention and your time and whether that's by the day, by the week, by the month, like, how are you starting to now navigate, like where you even focus your time and attention? Yeah, that's a great question. I was just talking to another entrepreneur before who said that's sometimes the hardest part. Um, I think it's, you know, balancing what, the needs of the business are at, you know, each specific time. And I mean, the king is traction, right? So you can say that the website has bugs. You can say that the website doesn't look as good as it should. You can say that, you know, you could be spending more time on design and brand, but I think really traction is king. So, um, and that's something that, you know, we've done a decent job with, but could certainly spend more of the day, you know, calling different clubs and organizations and spending on marketing. But I think that's sort of what's, what's guided me a little bit is just remember, you know, you might be able to get a meeting with the best VC and, you know, the sports tech world, but if you don't have the traction to sort of get them excited, it's not, you know, it's not going to mean anything, but um, I think really the next stage is finding uh, a, an investor, you know, another investor or two who have um, see the vision that we're going for and like, let us help us take it to the next level. And just in terms of hiring, you know, hiring the team and having, you know, more robust marketing budget. I think that's um, really the next stage to get to the next step. And I don't, you know, I certainly can't get and scale this thing alone. It's going to take, you know, a great team in place to do that. Yeah. Like do you, and right now, 
do you wake up every morning and you're like, all right, I know exactly. These are the three things I got to do today. Or are you sort of flying by the seat of my pants? I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, how do you even break your, your day out in that capacity? Yeah. I mean, I do try to spend, you know, portions of the day on certain things, you know, need to have X amount of hours a week to do business development and fundraising, but it, it does get, you know, definitely a little scattered in there. And, um, you know, sometimes things pop up that you just sort of have to have to handle. But um, overall, I think that's what excites me about this whole thing. It's just doing everything or at least being involved in all different aspects of the business. So I certainly can't complain. But yeah, I think as we grow, it's just finding, you know, that focus. And, you know, I think I'll probably continue always to be involved in like the product build out and like the business development and you know, hire someone to focus really on the digital marketing side. And obviously I don't know how to code. So hire um, a few more engineers as we grow the team. And I think that's um, how I'm sort of seeing it come into the, the next stage. As, as somebody who like, you know, studied in the finance economics world, worked in the finance world, are, are there things about running a business where you're touching everything that have surprised you that you're like, oh shit, I actually kind of I kind of like this. I never done this before, but I'm enjoying this. And then on the flip side, is there anything that you're like, if I could never fucking do this again, I would be <laughs> thrilled. <laughs> yeah. I would say I've always considered myself a little bit of a generalist, but I would say the things that I really enjoyed is learning from our users, you know, on both sides of the platform. It's like this really unique stage. And, um, you know, we started with a pretty simple product to be honest, which has its pros and cons, but you know, going and asking your users, okay, what's the next feature look like? What's the most annoying thing with the website? What's, you know, thing that the product needs next, you know, to add value to the whole process for you and having those conversations, sort of using that to formulate what the website's going to look like. Um, one of the most annoying things I would say is just fundraising. It's just extremely time consuming. Um, you know, you sort of always have to be on your A game at any given time. It's a lot about who you know and how you get connected to people, which is, you know, something I'm learning quite quickly that it, it, the connections go a long way, but it's, you know, it's the most, you know, viable way to growing is getting capital. So it's something that, you know, sort of need to, to figure out and uh, part of wearing, you know, the CEO hat. Yeah. I always like asking, asking this to entrepreneurs as well. Is there something in this first year and change that you've been you know, working on this, either pulling part-time that you would just say, this is, that was a major fuck up. Like I just absolutely botched that. Like, is there anything that comes to mind? This is just a total disaster. Yeah, I would say we, we tried to go a little bit too budget on some of the engineering resources we used, um, you know, giving engineers overseas, like a lot of Slack sort of figure it out themselves and, you know, expecting because that they had a resume with four years of experience that, you know, we didn't need someone in the weeds sort of helping them. And <clears throat> that definitely delayed our product development timeline. And it really just was just recently that we sort of revamped the engineering team and started making um, the progress that we should be making with the amount of resources who were on the project. So I would say, yeah, generally sort of the, the time and cost goes into building good technology is something that I completely, completely underestimated as a, as a founder starting off. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance that? Like you're, you're in this still like scrappy, trying to figure out everything yourself mode. How do you balance paying a lot for something or, you know, paying a decent chunk for something and kind of trying to do things the budget way 
I assume that comes up across the entire business, but like, how do you sort of manage what you're spending right now where you don't necessarily have a ton of funding or it's coming yeah. out of your own, like, is it coming out of your <clears throat> own pocket? How do you make those choices? Yeah. I mean, I think we, you know, the funding we got at the beginning of this year sort of helped us take it to the next level in terms of engineering and getting a, you know, more robust team in there. Um, <clears throat> to start though, I, yeah, I'd go back to the thing I said on traction. Like even if the website, you know, doesn't do everything it could do and there's some bugs, you know, just putting it out there and letting people use it and, you know, tell you that all the things are wrong with it that you already know. And maybe give you some insights that you didn't realize is um, it's not, you know, it's not a, a way you can do things forever, but it's something you can sort of get away with for the first, you know, six months to a year. Um, that a lot, I think a lot of founders will go back and say, oh yeah, my, you know, my website had bugs at first too, but we sort of just, you know, went with it and fixed them along the way. Got it. So you're not, you're not just paying like engineers out of your own pocket at this point. No, no. I'm lucky to have some angel funding, which has helped us pay for engineers because yeah, they are not, uh, definitely not cheap. That's good. Um, as, as you kind of map out the five, 10, 15 year, like, is this something that you start to see yourself? Like I, I could do this forever. Like, is I, obviously it's still so new, but how, how do you think about this in a new industry, in a new job that, you know, you're, have never done before. Like what does the down the road look like for you? How much do you think yeah. about it? Right. I mean, I would, I do generally really enjoy this. So it is easy to get up every day and say, Hey, I have, you know, for 14 hours of doing this, you know, it's 10 different things that are related to, to the company, but it's, you know, it's definitely all um, something I'm very passionate about. Um, 15 years, I tend not to think that far ahead. I'm more yeah. of a, you know, three to five at most type, type of person. But, um, you know, I do think what at a certain point things, change and that's sort of what I realized in my old job is when a company hits a certain point there's you know however many hundred employees or maybe it's a thousand you know things sort of change and I think a lot of founders have a tendency to sort of um exit stage right but I, you know I, I do genuinely believe in um what we're doing and what we're building so I don't know it could be 15 it could be 20 30 years who knows is there a you can get one athlete past or present college athlete to coach on, on Vantage? Who are you picking? Ooh, wow. That's a tough one. Um, any athlete? I think I'd have to go with, uh, you know, TB12, the goat himself at Michigan. Okay. All right. Tossing some diamonds to some local Michigan football players. It probably wouldn't have been as big a deal as it is now, but um, – you know, to have have a player, uh, you know, who wasn't necessarily a superstar in college, but who ended up being, um, you know, obviously the best quarterback of all time, I think would have been really cool for the brand. He's realistically too somebody who like might actually show up on Vantage. Like, you know, he was a backup for yeah, a while. Yeah. Like he's at a big school, years. like probably wasn't making, you know, wasn't getting the big headlines. Like he probably wouldn't have had a big social media following in college. He could be a guy that would be on Vantage. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we've worked with a lot of, um, I don't want, you know, say backups, but we do have, you know, second string special teams players at a lot of, you know, power conference football teams that have gotten involved and sort of taken to Vantage as an opportunity to, to make some money and, you know, give back to different players in the local community. Is there like a sport or 
yeah. Is there a sport that, that you either haven't gotten into much or haven't gotten into at all that you're like, man, there's definitely a huge opportunity in this space that we're just like, it's not there yet. Yeah. I would say probably volleyball and lacrosse are two that I'm like staring at, but we haven't really I mean, we have a little bit of lacrosse traction, but it's not, you know, as much as it could be. And I think I played lacrosse, you know, I actually coached lacrosse in Jersey city. Um, as a volunteer coach after college. So it's just a sport that I love personally. I know that there's a lot of opportunity there and hopefully we'll get there um, this summer. And then volleyball, I have really no, no personal affinity to, but I have been told by many folks that there's a huge market for training in volleyball and some, you know, in many cases, limited access to top coaches. So it's, it's something we'll definitely be looking to get into in the next year. So, so those, those two, um, you know, just in particular, lacrosse I can see as like a no-brainer you know you just need a kid to show up to a random park with his stick and you can probably go through a whole bunch of drills whereas volleyball you know maybe you need a net you need a basket of 10 volleyballs you need a court like I don't I don't know necessarily all the the intricacies of it but how do you think about like the facilities piece of this all where you know you maybe can't track you know these college athletes aren't just going into their like d1 gym and and hosting practice how, how do you, how have you started to think about that and what role do you guys play in that? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I think that's going to be one of the harder hurdles we have to jump. Um, you know, I think ideally it would be a partner or a series of partners, whether it be working with some facilities who have access to those spaces. And, you know, we've been lucky to onboard a few early partners like that. Um, but, um, you know, I think it's definitely going to be, um, like I said, one of the trickier things we have to do. And I think uh, it'll probably take it, you know, a team in place to sort of set up some small partnerships and then hope that someone can sort of solve that at a larger scale, the whole court booking um, process. And then we could sort of use their service or partner with them to do that. And I know there's a few companies in the space that have tried it or gone for it or, you know, currently trying it. So um, ideally they, you know, they would sort of figure it out and we could sort of leverage their, their product to do that. Keep the collaboration partnership kind of angle going with things. Um, is, is there, is there anything that surprised you since you started this, that you're just, you know, whether it's personally from just starting a business, like, man, I did not expect that this was going to be part of my day to day, or this is not as harder than I thought. Is there anything that's just totally shocked you in building this thing? Yeah, I would say just like the waves of ups and downs, you know, it seems like some of the things you do get you to the next step and then you can sort of grind into a wall for a week and then sort of pivot what you're focusing on. So I I would say generally just, yeah, sort of how the highs and lows of being a, you know, an early stage founder, um, you know, I'm a, I'd say I'm a pretty balanced person in general, but I've definitely found myself, you know, having those up days and having those down days, um, without a doubt. Is there, is there like, a are there mentors or people that you've kind of leaned on as you've started to build this that have helped you in, in dealing with those things and, and kind of helping guide the strategy or where you're taking it? Yeah, I would say I have a good support system between family, friends, um, a few mentors in the space and really the best thing has been other founders. Um, you know, I have three or four other, you know, late mid twenties founders in the space who bounce ideas off with, um, you know, even one who's just out of college, but 
you know, founding his own company who I'm pretty close with. And I think that's been the biggest support system for, for me personally, is sort of developing those relationships and just, um, you know, the camaraderie and sharing the highs and lows with people who are going through a very, very similar thing. Yeah. Is there anything that you, you know, you've square day one, this idea pops into your head. What, like, what advice would you give to day one, Pat, of trying to start this, this business? Yeah. I mean, I think (laughs) the two things I would give myself would be definitely try to validate your idea um, qualitatively and then quantitatively first before you get going. Um, You know, make a landing page with your product, try to drive traffic to it, see if people sign up, talk to potential users. I mean, that's all a little cliche, but can save you a lot of time and energy. And then I think the second thing is like, you know, you can build an audience before you have something in place. So um, I wish maybe I had spent more time on social media and content before I, you know, just started handing out flyers at a soccer tournament, but there's definitely a way to build and, you know, start creating the type of audience you need before you're really ready to launch the product fully. And, um, I think some of the, you know, the companies out there like over time have sort of shown that that's a viable way to sort of growing and building a business that you can sort of figure out, um, some of the more business metrics and really what exactly you're going to be later on, but if you can build an audience, like that's valuable in itself. Yeah. It's interesting. Like as this creator space evolves and, you know, media companies kind of change, it seems like a lot of times people now will like you build an audience on TikTok or Instagram or on a blog or email newsletter. And then you're like, all right, now I got to figure out what I'm going to sell to these people. Cause they're all here and I, right. sh- I should yeah. be figuring right. out how to make some money off of them. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I just have a couple, couple rapid fire questions to kind of close you out here. First one being, tell me about your, your DM strategy. Cause I feel like you've got, you're just, you're in there constantly. You're, you know, you're probably, you're like working athletes, you're working potential partners, you follow up, you send four or five, six, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. What's, what is your, what is your approach to the DMs? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really great when you have, when you're DMing an athlete, college athlete, and you already have like, customer lined up you know ready to work with them um you know it's it's a easy sell to say hey i have this business and we're attracting customers and we actually you know have a new customer looking to do baseball training in savannah georgia like do you want to jump on but um aside from that i think it's it's getting people excited about the idea um and sort of buying into that it's new but it's you know community of college athletes and you know aspiring college athletes who want to be involved in this and Sometimes it takes a little patience, you know, in terms of, hey, sign up, it helps us. But, you know, you might not be, you know, immediately turnkey turning, walking into an opportunity, but to get involved uh, nonetheless. Is that like your preferred platform of, of just communication in general? Like, you know, talking to athletes, talking to parents or coaches, like, is that mostly how you do it? Or is it, you know, you're just trying to sell through the phone? Are you tr- like, how, how do you sort of manage the like almost outbound like business development piece yeah um i would say it's sort of a mix of all those things you know the right coaches call them up sort of explain what we're doing you know see how they can get involved or at least let their team know about it um you know the social media is definitely going to continue to be sort of an avenue for us um but it's it's a little bit of you know still just trial and ever figuring out um you know how to how to get those customers and how to get those college athletes. And, um, you know, luckily been able to sort of try and, you know, have success with a couple of different methods. 
Mm-hmm. All right. You get a billboard in Times Square for Vantage, free advertising. What are you putting on it? Uh, I'd put on three or four different college athletes that joined our platform at the very beginning and, you know, definitely split it up between men and female athletes and just sort of broadcast. So we're all about, um, you know, maybe a nice picture of uh, an actual live training photo, which we, we have of sort of a success story, but I think that's the key broadcasting message is, um, you know, sort of broadcasting all the early success and making, you know, making, photo sort of comes to life of what the story and what the product is okay all right all right and my last question for you i close out every show with the sign off of stay weird so pat what makes you weird well, i get up out of the i get out of bed every morning and i just sort of uh i just sort of you know i'm in my own zone i'm grinding away on businesses and business ideas and different topics and you know we'll sometimes go full 12 hours without communicating with anyone in my friend or family circle. So I have sort of just that ability to be in my own zone and sort of <laughs> forget about the rest of the world for a while. Sometimes don't even check the news or what's going on in the world of sports, but sort of just zone out and zone in however you want to think about it. That is a wrap on this week's episode of Destination Different. Big thanks to Pat for coming on this week's show. I wish I had this. I wish I had this when I was a college athlete. Ten years ago, the world looked a lot different and couldn't make any money as a college athlete off of being a college athlete. And so I'm, I'm so happy to see what Pat's doing, what he's building with Vantage and, and giving student athletes the opportunity to make a little money off of their name and at the same time give younger athletes the chance to change to train with these high level college athletes. It's just a perfect, it's like a match made in heaven. And I just, everything about what he's doing, I just love. So if you want to, if you're a college athlete and you want to get involved, if you are a high school student or a parent of a high school student who wants some high, high, high level coaching for your son or daughter. Go check out vantagesports.com. We'll get it linked up in the description of the show and get involved with what they're doing over at Vantage. So that's it. That's all I got. I am spending the weekend in the Dominican Republic, working on my tan, working on my Spanish, and then it's straight off to LA from there. And then straight back to Boston. It's a busy couple weeks here. But the show rolls on. So we'll be back again next week, next Wednesday, with another episode of Destination Different. Until then, stay weird. Your love song, baby